iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today is a very special show indeed because we're only talking about one man and one man only. Gareth Southgate, the England manager. But we're not going to be talking about whether he can fit James Madison into his team, where he should be playing Jude Bellingham, or even if he can learn anything at all from this Friday's friendly against Australia. Nope, today is all about Southgate. The man, the myth, the manager, the player, all of it. We're going to cover all of it. And joining me, Tom Clark, for all of that, we've got two Gareth Southgate experts. Matt Lawton, Chief Sports Correspondent for The Times, who has watched Southgate's career as a player and manager in nearly 30 years covering football. And David Walsh, Chief Sports Writer for The Sunday Times, who knows the England manager very well, having helped write Southgate's award-winning book in 2004, and who broke the exclusive story after the 2022 World Cup that Southgate was staying on. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Now, I think we should probably start with a declaration of sorts at request from our colleague Martin Samuel, who's missing this week as he's on, he's on holiday. And he rang me up on Monday and said, Tom, I was going to do his voice, but I'm not going to. Tom, Tom, you can't have a Southgate show with people who like Southgate only. And I said, look, that's not what it's about. We're not here to decide whether we like Gareth Southgate or not, because the listeners know I'm a big team Gareth fan myself. But what we're hoping to do with this show is to teach you something about the man more than you know already. Um, and perhaps inform your views. So maybe if you don't like him, you might like him a little bit more after this, or maybe you'll be uh, only have those views reaffirmed. So coming to that kind of summary, David and Matt, um, we had a listener, Aidan Smith, get in touch, talking about kind of England fans maybe growing tired of Southgate, liking him as a bloke, and I think it was a kind of good assessment because I think people admire him, they like him, they think he's done well, but also ultimately failed as a manager. Um, and David, quoting... Southgate himself from one of your pieces I've been delving into the Times archive Southgate himself said I think sometimes people think nice guy that Southgate but a bit boring though so my question to you both first um, and David I'll start with you is what do you think about his current public persona and what about it is do you think is missing from knowing him as you do I think is the the current perception of him is of a guy um, and I'm talking here about I, what I would say is the pretty silent majority. A lot of English people look at the way Gareth has managed England and say, and say, I like the way he's represented us. Teams seem to be doing well. Uh, the team certainly come across well. Good group of, of mostly a lot of young footballers. They've been pretty successful in terms of how they've progressed to getting to finals, quarterfinals, semi-final, finals. Um, and that's all been impressive. And I think they think he's doing a good job. I think there's quite a community of people out there who think England have another golden generation, 
who see that who who kind of have this feeling that England should be winning and if they didn't have Gareth Southgate they would win and as for your kind of the earlier quote about you know Gareth once reflecting on himself uh, reflecting on himself in terms of how he thought people might perceive him nice guy that Southgate bit boring I think that was of course that was said in jest I've known Gareth for you know well over 20 years now and we've always kind of spoken and I find him one of the most interesting people I have ever met and if I could tell you a story in, to, to justify that um, I mean and I've got to declare a, you know an interest here I, I helped Gareth write his autobiographical book Woody and Nord. It was called Woody and Nord because Gareth wanted to share the book with his with his best mate from Crystal Palace, Andy Woodman. Andy Woodman at the time was earning fifty grand a year playing football. Gareth was earning around fifty thousand a week playing football, and Gareth wanted people to understand that football wasn't all about the Premier League. So he included his mate in the book. The self-deprecation that Gareth has was he was quite happy to go with 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 both their kind of nicknames. At Crystal Palace, Andy Woodman was called Woody, normal. Gareth Southgate was called Nord, not normal. He was called Nord because the other players perceived him as a Dennis Norden type figure, the way he dressed, the way he looked, the way he, the way he talked. And I don't think anybody in the Crystal Palace dressing room would have considered Gareth boring because they would have had a sense of who he was. Now, if you ask me, is he boring? What I do is I tell you, I, I'm going to tell you a story. We were getting towards the end of the end of the book and the publishers needed it the next day, as they always did. And I was ready to wrap it all up. And I was having a, a kind of a 10 o'clock at night conversation with Gareth. And I said, one regret I have about the book is we never did that chapter that we briefly mentioned about Alan Boxich coming to Middlesbrough. And Gareth said, oh, we didn't. And, and he said, could we? And I said, Gareth, honestly, I can't. I said, I've got a lot of things to tidy up and I've promised the publisher 11 o'clock in the morning. And then I said, but you know what? If you were prepared to sit down at your laptop now and start writing about the Alan Boxage you knew, just as you told me, just put it in your laptop. Before you go to bed tonight, send the email to me. I'll, I'll get it in. I didn't think for a second that that he would do it because it was a big ask. What time are we talking? Like quite late in the day. So this is quite this late. This is like, like half ten at night. Gosh, right. And I want it in. I want to be in the inbox at seven in the morning, so I can have a, a run through it. I get up at half six. I look at my email at seven o'clock, and there's one from Gareth, and there's, there are five thousand words about Alan Boxich, and I would argue, till the day I die, I will argue this, and I didn't touch this piece. I didn't do one thing with it. It went into the book exactly as Gareth typed it, and I would argue it's one of the greatest football chapters ever written. Now, Alan Boxich had won the, the European Cup at the time with Juventus. This is how Garrett started the chapter. He went without saying goodbye, Alan Boxich, Croatia's finest. One day he was there, tall, aloof, unconcerned. The next day, gone. There were rumours about a move to Spurs, another about an injury that could keep him out for some time. We were his teammates. How would we know? Then one morning at training, someone asked, Where's Alan? No one knew, but Michael Ricketts, our new signing from Bolton Wanderers, was told to change in the locker over there, Alan's locker. For two and a half years, Alan had played at Middlesbrough, lived in a village near Darlington, the house rented for him by the club. 
did his own thing. What did Middlesbrough mean to him? Was there sadness for him in leaving? To whom did he say goodbye? From his yacht on the Dalmatian coast, will he follow Burroughs' results? Alas, poor Alan, we didn't know him well. Now, how could a boring man write that? Absolutely. If he ever does leave England, you've got a job at the Times. That's I was about sure. to say, he can not only do the England job, he can do our Guys, job. Guys, he'd be too good for us. Goodness <laughs> me. So, I mean, that is a very a thoughtful guy as well. That is a guy who really thinks about, you know, he's not just talking about a superstar player there. He could have, you know, criticised him. He's actually thinking, what what, what does this actually mean? Yeah, and, and, you know, with an edge as well, um, you know, he ends up by saying that basically Alan Boxage came to Middlesbrough with the MEAT syndrome, M-E-A-T syndrome, which was big in America at the time. I I didn't know about the MEAT syndrome. Garrett Mm. did. The MEAT syndrome is maximise earnings at all times. Right. Alan, this is how uh, Gareth finished his chapter on Alan Boxage. Alan adhered to the MEAT syndrome, but that is no crime. That he could do this without making a major contribution to the team, though, highlights a weakness in the way football contracts are agreed. But here is the greatest head fuck for me. He can even turn around and say he won the European Cup. Yeah. You know, and, I mean, and like this is the guy that people might perceive as boring. Give me a break, you know. So definitely not boring. We've established that. Mm. Matt, you've had a, many, many dealings with many, many managers and many England managers indeed. What is your kind of perception, both from your point of view as a chief chief reporter, mm. but also from you know your contacts and things about Southgate, the man as he is now? Yeah, look, I th- I think the thing that is often underestimated with Gareth is just how hard he is, how tough he is, and uncompromising. Um, you know, he 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 developed this um, public persona um, as a player, as a as a as a likable guy that would always talk to the media. And actually, it became a bit of a joke, really, that certainly during you know the period when he was at his peak with England, he was always the player that would would actually front up, and while others would hide, you know, Gareth was the one that the FA would push to the push to the forefront to 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 give a voice to the to the team, particularly at more difficult times. Um, but he is much harder, and I think he's been very clever in the way that he's executed certain decisions during his England. Uh, managerial uh, uh, term in particular the fact of the matter is he tried to play it down at the time but Wayne Rooney did not return to the England squad after he joined a wedding party at the uh, at the hotel in Hertfordshire and it was funny because I always remember we, we, we got into a bit of a row in the in the press conference over this because we'd been guided by someone at the FA that Gareth had actually gone into this area of the hotel and, and sent Rooney to bed, which we all took as being pretty significant. Um, and then the press conference followed, and everyone had written this story, you know, based on guidance from the FA. And Gareth denied he'd sent him to bed. And I was the one in particular who said, hang on a minute, it was at Wembley. Mm. And I said, hang on a minute, you can't, you can't guide us as a, as a federation that this happened that Gareth walked in found his star player I think he was still England captain at the time you know drinking with uh, a wedding a, a random wedding party that happened to be in another wing in the hotel you told us that Gareth was the one who gave the order and sent him upstairs 
Um, although actually at that particular hotel, I think it's all on the ground floor. <laughs> but anyway, I'm sure there's some stairs somewhere. Um, and then Gareth was denying it. And there was this kind of very awkward uh, sort of standoff in this press conference. And we kind of cleared the air afterwards. But the fact of the matter is, there's a ruthless age. And I always remember um, Stan Collymore's book um, when he wrote his autobiography. And again, you know, David makes the point that he had a nickname Nord. But I think if you go back, and, and I am delving quite deep into my memory here, I think Collymore wrote about just how tough and uncompromising Southgate was as, as a player, as a professional. Didn't, you know, actually grew impatient with someone like Collymore who was having his own problems, his own mental health issues, and, and could be, as a consequence, unreliable as a professional footballer. And one of the ones who was hardest on him and most intolerant of that was Gareth Southgate. I, I, as I say, I think, you know, he's brilliant at fronting up for the FA. He's, he's, he's a great ambassador. He's, he's, he's superb at dealing with the media. We now know he's also a brilliant writer. But I think what people don't realise is just how tough he is. Uh, just on that, yeah. about Stan Collymore, it really, it, it also needs saying that Gareth was brutal on Stan Collymore. And Stan Collymore was going through mental health issues. And if you ask Gareth about his regrets from a playing career, Stan Collymore is right up there. Really? He's always regretted how he treated Stan. And and funnily, when Gareth then got to Middlesbrough and he's captain, and he was captain, obviously, at Villa when Stan was there, and he was really intolerant of Stan's kind of what Gareth saw at the time, his lack of professionalism, but now realises it was behaviour related to mental health issues that Stan had at the time, and Gareth was not sympathetic. And he, he as I say, regrets that. But when he goes to Borough and Alan Boxage turns up and Alan is a different kettle of smoke cod and Gareth says, now, Gareth, you, you failed with Stan Collymore. You did not behave properly. Now you've got a very difficult centre forward who seems to get viruses every time there's an away game. <laughs> you know? and, but you've got to be more sympathetic. So Gareth goes to goes to Boxic and he asks him about what was it like to play with Zidane and you know European Cup and he plays and 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 Boxic to give him credit recognized Gareth as an as an England player somebody who played a lot for England so he gave him some respect but in the end Gareth never got through to Boxic mm. Boxic treated everybody at Needlesborough as kind of almost beneath him mm. and at the time Alan Boxes was reported to have been the leading earner in the Premier League. Gosh, really? Yeah, oh. they said he was earning, I think, 64000 a week net. Blimey. Now, this was back in 2001, 2002, that got, oh, oh. 1999, mm. 2000, that time. Wow. Well, uh, I, I can tell you now that I remember, because I remember writing the story as a Manchester correspondent, Roy Keane at that time was on 57000 a week. Really? And so, that was... That was off the scale in yeah. terms of salary and as David says he was on even more well net and that was the big thing of course some yeah. of these guys came in previously and said oh, just eliminate the tax before you pay me yeah you gosh <laughs> helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? 
United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Amazing times. Well, let's go back to those times. I wanted to start with a kind of summary, but we are going to go through, as I said at the top, you know, Gareth Southgate, the player, the man, the manager. So right back to the very start um, for Crystal Palace, a central midfielder, a right back, a bit of a kind of play everywhere and also captain. Leads them to the first division title in 93-94 before making his England debut in 95. You know, we talked about how long you guys have been in the industry following things. I'm 34. The first thing I remember of Gareth Southgate is the penalty miss that we're going to come on to. Mm. We talk so much about young players. He had a, a very impressive career. How was he viewed as a young player? Was he a bright young thing? Was he talked about as a future England star, Matt? Oh yeah, no, he definitely was. I, I was. I have to admit, I was a northern football writer at this time. Um, I was based in Manchester, so he wasn't hugely on my radar. Um, but no, he he was he was seen as he was being talked about in the way that you know later on people like Rio Ferdinand were talked about as this sort of cultured you know he he had ability he could he could play with the ball at his feet he had vision you know the fact is there were different England managers and I think Keegan was the one that I, th- I think it was actually the ill-fated his last game when he got when he resigned in the loo at mm. um, at Wembley but. Um, um, you know, th- th- there was always, and a bit like with j- what we see now with John Stones, where there's a whole debate around whether he's better suited in central defence or central midfield. Yeah. So he had that ability, and and you know he he was a good footballer. David. Yeah, um, I would say he probably lacked an inch or two to have mm. been the commanding centre back. He was very good in the air, but he just like I think Gareth is six foot. He wasn't a big centre back. Um, probably lacked a bit of extra pace um, that would have kind of, you know, gone well with his other talents. But he was amazingly effective for the kind of footballer he was. Um, Terry Venables maybe was the was the manager, the England manager certainly, who most saw that. And Terry really wanted him in the team. And Gareth performed brilliantly in 1996 mm. during, the, during the European Championships before he yeah. missed the penalty. And he yearned always to be signed by a big club but the big the only big club that came in for him was Chelsea but it was at a time when Doug Ellis at, at Aston Villa didn't want to sell right. Gareth didn't no matter what and and Gareth was really frustrated by that he would have loved the opportunity to have played at a big club because he felt he was good enough and and given the kind of character that he is I'd say he would have done really well at a big club because his ability to learn you know you might ask why did, why did Terry Venables like him? Mm. Because Terry Venables was a tactically sophisticated manager 
and they weren't ten a penny at the time. And he saw Garrett's kind of technical ability for what it was. He he would have understood Garrett's intelligence and say, if we're playing in a certain way, Garrett will understand what I'm asking him to do because he's eminently coachable. But I would have said in an overall sense, I mean, people talk now about, oh, so good. What's he ever won? You know, sacked his Middlesbrough manager. Well, hold on. What's he ever won? What have Middlesbrough ever won? Mm. Uh, Middlesbrough won the League Cup. 2004 beat Bolton in Cardiff who was captain that day Garrett Southgate um, but but in relation to his overall career I remember Gareth once said to me and I said this to him more recently and he kind of squirmed away from it but he, he said to me towards the end of his playing career that he felt he was destined to achieve something to, to do much better as a manager than as a footballer really because he felt unfulfilled by his football career Um you know, even if he, he he won a League Cup with Aston Villa, he won he won a League Cup with Middlesbrough. But in the greater scheme of things, if it's not something that compares favourably to people who played at Manchester United or at Chelsea when they were winning, or at Arsenal when they were winning, or you know at other big clubs. So he felt frustrated by his career and felt that management would give him a better chance because he would have more control over his career. Yeah, well, we'll come on to the management side of things, of course. But going back to those playing days, and you talk about Terry Venables liking him. You know, and he was captain at Palace, and then captain at Villa, and then captain at Middlesbrough. Was he always liked? Was there any ever ever stories of Southgate rift with manager or anything like that? Was did that kind of opinionated, steely side ever come across in clan of clashes with managers? I mean, the steely side was definitely there. If you go back to, I mean, uh, um, it's a kind of a slightly unfortunate episode at, at the time that Gareth was captain of Middlesbrough, and they were going to the. Um, going to the um, uh, Europa League mm. final against Seville in Eindhoven, I think. Um, England were looking for a new manager. It was at the time that, that Steve McLaren, I think, was about to be appointed. Yeah, mm. it was. And uh, Gareth was writing a piece for the Sunday Times on the England management. Now, this was three days before the McLaren-managed Middlesbrough played in the Europa League final, which you would say was probably the biggest game that Middlesbrough were ever going to play. And in his column, Gareth kind of um, thoughtfully said, I think given the experience of the England managers who were available, that the FA should look to bring in a foreign manager. Gosh, really? Yeah. So essentially says his own current manager is not good enough for the England job. Essentially, yes. But of course, Sunday Times is a newspaper. It wants to sell newspapers. It wants to get the readers to read what, what we write. So we basically we decided that that was effectively what Gareth was saying and that's what he was saying and you could say it was naive of Gareth to say that four days before Middlesbrough three days before Middlesbrough played in the biggest game Mm. in their lives under Steve McLaren but I think the headline on the Sunday Times piece was Southgate says FA shouldn't appoint McLaren his own manager which obviously was very upsetting for Gareth and uh, very unfortunate Gareth probably was a little bit naive and the Sunday Times were probably a little bit exploitative. Mm. How did you react to that? Because obviously, you know, we have these relationships sometimes with columnists, with reporters. You guys have relationships with contacts, do interviews and things. Was he contemplative? Was he thoughtful about it or was he just fuming? He was he was he was he was very upset. Mm. And but he did what Gareth would do. He didn't make a fuss. He just said maybe it's better I don't write football columns and then this won't happen. Mm. And in 
uh, in my understanding, I don't think he's ever written a column since that. Yeah, and talking about that ruthlessness, you mentioned it there. When he was at Aston Villa, from reading up and researching, he did submit a transfer request, is that right, in 2000, just before Euro 2000, yes, he in did. order to try and get that big move to a Arsenal, to a Manchester yes. United. I mean, that again shows someone who really had ambitions to go to the very top. Oh, yes, he did. And I think John Gregory might have been manager at Aston Villa at the time. And Gareth, without putting a tooth in it, didn't rate John Gregory and didn't really hide his his belief that John wasn't the right guy to be managing Aston Villa. It was part of the reason he w- he needed to get out of there. And he just felt he'd been there too long and Middlesbrough wasn't the move he was looking for. But he went to Middlesbrough and he, he did a terrific job. Yeah. And, and Middlesbrough end up winning the only trophy the, the club has ever won. Just to rewind on that, I think what I was aware of at the time, I was a, I think I was a football correspondent at the Mail at the time, and we were aware, even though uh, Middlesbrough did get to that European final that year, there had been issues. Uh, they, 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 they'd had difficulties, and we were aware that for all um, McLaren's talent as a coach. Um, and obviously he'd done very well under under Alex Ferguson at United and then and then was obviously part of Ericsson's uh, backroom team. We were aware that it was Gareth who had stepped up in the dressing room and, and was almost running the team as the captain. A bit like John from, Terry From the Chelsea. dressing room, I, I think to a degree. And I think that's why Steve Gibson gave him the job because he was 35, 36 when he made him the manager after McLaren took the England job. And I think, so, yeah, while... I actually don't remember that column, but but while obviously Gareth, when he saw it in black and white, winced, um, it completely tallied with what we believed Gareth thought of McLaren because mm. I think he did feel at that, in, particularly in that last season that McLaren was at Borough, that he stepped up more and actually it was more down to him that they that they had the success they did in that that last season under McLaren. We're coming to the end of his playing career, but I want to go back. We've touched on it already, Euro 96. David, you've already said, and I was looking up before, because as I say, from my point of view, I only remember little glimpses here and there, but this is a guy that played every game, started every game, played every minute, and was widely praised in, in England's performances as being one of the best players in that team. Absolutely. If you were kind of marking them out of 10 in every game, Gareth would have been top, th- top three. I mean, he really had a had a fantastic tournament. Probably that it was his best time in a, in an England shirt. Yeah, best performances, uh, and uh, and of course everything then got overwhelmed by the penalty. Yeah, and then get, so go into that match. Were, were either of you there? Were you in Wembley? No, I wasn't at that game. I was at games at Euro '96, but I wasn't at that. I watched that on TV. Yeah. But watching it then, as someone who you know had followed him, didn't know him as well, presumably by no. that point, but. As 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 leading football journalist, are you watching it thinking, bloody hell, what the hell is Gareth Southgate taking a penalty for? Mm. I I was at the other semi final with Matt Dickinson actually. Right. We, were, we were covering the other games, France Czech Republic, and watching uh, Patrick Berger and Carol Poborski seduce Liverpool and Manchester United collectively. Um, uh, yeah, I I I think we were, but I think I think what we do have to remember about that was just that there were there were. There were more offensive players on the pitch who didn't step up, and I think, I think the fact is again that steely personality that he's often not given credit for. He at least was prepared to step up and take one, um, and yeah, it was a it was a pretty awful penalty, um, easy easily saved. Um, but 
I just, yeah, I, I know exactly where I was. I was in the mix zone at Old Trafford waiting for uh, jubilant uh, Czech players um, uh, and it was on the screen. Um, but, um, yeah, uh, you know, incredibly unfortunate. But but I think the general mood was that he was unlucky. It wasn't mm. really his fault. Well, I mean, I just, uh, David, I'm going to come to you after this, but I, d- I d- delved into the um, Times archive, which is an amazing resource that we have at the newspaper. And, it's fascinating to see. Obviously, at the moment, we're watching David Beckham documentaries about how mm. he was viewed. Um, the Times back page from Thursday, June 27th, 1996. The headline is Gallant England Miss Final Chance. Uh, and the, the, the only men- mention of Gareth Southgate reads, Let no one point a finger at poor Gareth Southgate. Penalty shootouts always find a victim. Sometimes they are as genuine and as intelligent as Southgate. His number was up, but blame him not. David, what do you think that says about the decision of the coverage to be so sympathetic for someone who, as Matt said, took a crap penalty? If you if you want to analyse it in footballing terms, yes, he stepped up, very brave, but he took a crap penalty and cost us, cost us the match, how it might be framed at other times. Yeah, I think we lived at it. That was a different time. I mean, you're talking, what, 27 years ago, mm. almost three decades, and maybe... You could argue it was a kinder time, that people were more sympathetic, um, people were more tolerant, people looked on a penalty miss as just, well, you know, somebody's got to miss it. And does that make a person a villain? Does that make a person, should the person be a scapegoat? Um, the, the point I would make is that England were wholly unprepared for that situation. I remember Gareth telling me that as he walked up from the halfway line to take the penalty the German goalkeeper had the ball and as Gareth was closing the distance between himself and the goalkeeper the goalkeeper tossed the ball away I think to his left like almost at, to the edge of the penalty area on the left and Gareth thought how am I going to be able to walk with that to that ball pick it up without tripping over myself he felt so legless with nerves mm. and I mean his almost consternation that the goalkeeper hadn't just rolled the ball down to the spot. That walkover, that gives you a sense of his state of mind. Now, I, rem- I remember two years later when England went out of the 1998 World Cup under Glenn Hoddle. And, and that was a good England team. And somebody said to Glenn Hoddle down in wherever England went out, was it, was it San Etienne? Um, we're down in a kind of basement. And someone said, said Glenn, did you do much? preparation for the penalties and Glenn Hoddle said he said Nick Faldo can practice four foot putts as much as he likes on a kind of putting green but when he gets onto the 18th green of a major championship all that practice doesn't help him <laughs> I Incredible. mean that's the level of ignorance we were talking about yeah. mm. and 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 you know, I'm not saying that Glenn Hoddle was an ignorant coach or anything like that, but they didn't. Uh, the managers at that time didn't understand that you could you could practice penalties. And Terry Venables was a was a great manager, a, you know, visionary in many ways. But England hadn't prepared themselves for that moment, and you end up with Gareth Southgate going up to take a penalty, mostly because nobody else is prepared to to take it, and he was really ill-equipped for a challenge of that nature yeah psychologically more than anything else you yes know, we absolutely see now players you know matt if you're taking a penalty i run in and get the ball 
and mm. shield it and make sure no one, no one of the opposition get anywhere near it until you're ready and then you mm. come and take it off yes. me. You know, and he must have learnt from that. I wanted to just, just to finish this section, how much in your dealings with him, David, in writing the book and in interviewing him in the years after and after he retired, how much does he and did he carry that moment with him? How much did it define him? You know, we've talked about him, such a strong character, you know, really, really brave, really bold at times. It was always there, yeah. Because I remember he 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 talked about uh, a Middlesbrough game, and they went to a hotel. I think it might have been a home game. They might have met at a hotel, or and Gareth is walking into the hotel with the other Middlesbrough players, and somehow his eye caught two people at the bar, and it's like a thirty-five-year-old man and his partner, who's female, and Gareth notices her nudging the guy who's got a pint in his hand and she's got a, another drink. She nudges him and says, there's Southgate, the bloke that missed the penalty. Mm. And this was like 10 years later. And it, it's always been there. But the great thing about that was they say you learn more from defeat. They say you learn more. And that's a great cliche, but it's also true. And Gareth has been obsessed by preparing England for for the mo- for 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 the moment that he had and suffered by, and it really is remarkable that Harry Kane should have missed such an important penalty in a World Cup quarter final, and he, and everybody to have accepted it. Mm. I mean, this is one of the great England centre forwards. This is one of the great penalty takers. This is the guy who bread and butter to mm. to knock in a penalty, and he blazes it way over the bar. Mm. And nobody is nobody. He's not remembered for missing that penalty in the way that Gareth was remembered for missing his. Mm. Well, we'll get on to the things that he might be remembered for now in the second part of the show. But just to finish, we we talked about it a little bit there, Matt, with Steve McLaren and the perception of him and Southgate's time at Middlesbrough. I've already outlined captain at every club he played for. Was he always destined to be a manager? Was he one of those players that you saw and dealt with in the media? Matt, you talked about it before, for always fronting up. Was this a guy that you just thought, oh, well, he'll be a manager? I think it's always hard to predict who are going to be the managers because you you speak to people that played with, say, Mark Hughes, and they never saw a manager in that dressing room because he's quite a quiet guy and and, and, um, kept himself to himself to to, to some degree. I think... um, I think yeah, you know, I know Jeff Thomas very well, uh, who obviously played with get a, a very young Gareth at um, uh, at Palace. Yeah, I think he, I think he always had that in him. He always had that ambition, and um, he was just a natural leader. Uh, and I think that's been borne out in the way that he's, the way that he's evolved. David, in discussing discussing his career with him and discussing the book, did he always give the impression that that was where he was heading? Yeah, he, he, as I said to you earlier, Tom, that he made the point that he felt he was destined to fulfil himself in management that, mm. because that didn't happen him, him as a player. Uh, the, one thing about Gareth is that, you know, he came from quite, I would say, middle-class family. Um, he had a dad... Clive has a dad Clive who was incredibly correct the way he lived his life Gareth said that when Clive was manager of the team that Gareth played on every time there was an injury Clive would go on to see how the player was except if Gareth was injured Hmm. (laughs) he would stay there and Gareth would listen as some parent came to Clive and, and said you know what Clive that boy of yours today terrific and Gareth would be kind of really secretly pleased mm. and he would want the conversation to continue 
and his dad would always say but your boy did you see the pass he gave for our fourth goal wow every single time mm. Clive would move the conversation away from Gareth mm. and and that's where Gareth came from so when he turns up at Crystal Palace and Alan Smith they get a hammering by Oxford in a youths game and Alan Smith the manager goes mad he says to Gareth like if you were an estate agent you'd be brilliant like if you were going to be my son-in-law I'd love you but a footballer no fucking chance mm. and Gareth looked at him and said kind of, we'll see mm. we'll see and the hardness, I mean, Alan knew that the guy had something and he was trying to bring it out in him. Mm. Well, it didn't take much bringing out because yeah. he went on to have a good career at Palace, at Villa, at Middlesbrough, as you say, captain everywhere he was because he was a leader. Yeah, you mentioned that strength. You just reminded me of another quote that I dug out from your pieces and from the book in relation to his dad, Clive. And it's interesting, you know, again, watching this David Beckham documentary and watching some of the how his, his dad raised him, similar characteristics, I would say, almost identical. Um, but it was striking thinking about that toughness that um, you said Andy Woodman was talking about the penalty miss and that apparently Clive, his dad, said, Gareth will come through this. He'll be strong. Yes. So he knew he knew even Absolutely. about his son at that point. I've 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 built him to for these moments. Yeah. He can go he can get through it. Yeah, and it's like like Andy Woodman was was Gareth's great mate through those palace years. And after the penalty miss, you know, um Andy says to Gareth something to the effect of, you know, tough luck mate. And Gareth says, "Yeah, thanks Woody." And Woody says, but it was fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> and Gareth laughed because he wasn't denying it. It was a terrible penalty. It was a terrible penalty, but certainly tough times and amazing stories. Matt Lawton and David Walsh, thank you very much. That's the end of part one, but stick with us. Coming up next, we'll be talking about Gareth Southgate, the manager. Well, listeners, we started out with the intention of this show being a, just a one-off special, but turns out David Walsh and Matt Lawton have got so much insight about Gareth Southgate that we've decided to cut this episode in two. That was part one. Part two will be out tomorrow. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.